You are listening to Parenting Our Future with certified parent coach, Robin McMahon, author of The Yelling Cure and founder of Parenting for Connection. My podcast is all about providing you with the tools and solutions you need in your parenting so you can create the family you always wanted. For more information on my book and other resources, check out yellingcurebook.com. And if you like my show, then I want to tell you about a hilarious parenting podcast called What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. It's hosted by Amy and Margaret, who are both comedians and moms of three. But that's where the similarities end because Margaret is laid back to the max and Amy loves making lists and planning ahead. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, Amy and Margaret wrestle with a common parenting issue using research, lively debate, and tons of humor. So if you're stuck at home right now with your kids, this is the perfect escape. Check out What Fresh Hell, Laughing in the Face of Motherhood, wherever you listen to podcasts or at whatfreshhellpodcast.com. Hello, everybody. It's Robin McMahon here. Welcome to Parenting Our Future. Today, we're talking about uh, a really serious and and a really, really important issue, um, and one that I have invited uh, a special guest to, to help educate me on, and that's really about white privilege, and we're talking about racism, and, uh, and, and just learning more about what we need to do to be more sensitive and to um, to bring more awareness and um, uh, more awareness about the issue. So um, Jen Lumenlan is here and she has uh, an MS in psychology and child development and an MED uh, as well. And she's the host of her own podcast called Your Parenting Mojo, which is a reference guide for parents and toddlers and preschoolers based on scientific research and the principles of respectful parenting. Uh, and in each issue of her podcast, she examines a topic related to parenting and child development from all sides to help parents understand how to make decisions about raising their children. And she herself lives in California with her husband and her daughter. So thank you so much for being here, Jen. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. So um, what we're talking about here is racism. We're talking about how um, as you and I, two white women, let's just put it right out there, um, are talking about, uh, uh, about racism. And, and quite honestly, this topic is something that I have dodged and not uh, wanted to say anything about for a couple of different reasons. Um, one is um, I'm Canadian and, you know, really the uprise of this um, currently, not that it hasn't always been it, it, happening, um, but is because of, of uh, some, some murders in the, in the States. And so as a Canadian, I feel uncomfortable even talking about it. As a white woman, I feel extra uncomfortable talking about it. So, um, so you're here to kind of help me make sense of everything and, uh, and also help educate the people who are listeners as well, because we need to understand this. We need to do better, period. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about your discomfort and the reasons for that in a bit. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, um, you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, so let's kind of start at the beginning. Mm. Uh, I want to start at the beginning with child development. And like, let's talk about how children are born. Are they born with biases? And <laughs> when do they start? 
If, if, yeah, if, it's really interesting. Um, when newborns first come out, they really don't have any preference at all for faces of any particular race. So it's not something that they're born with. This is something that does happen through development, through socialization. Um, and, and the way this rolls out is by about three months, they will look at faces of their own race for longer. And this is a primary way that researchers mm -hmm. in child development understand how babies think, uh, is how long they look at a certain thing. So three months we're already seeing a shift yeah. and and one of the main reasons for that is because most babies are in single race families and so they see a lot more families that are family members that are of that race than they do family family members and other people of different races as well um, by around nine months they start to recognize uh, faces from their own race more easily than they recognize faces from people from other races. And so this, this is actually a really early precursor of the in-group and out-group idea. Um, the idea that there are people like me and there are people who are not like me. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and the reason our brain sets this up is because it's easier to process information when we categorize it. And so when everybody around you looks similar to you, you're able to uh, sort of lump them into this category that allows you to process the information faster. And then when somebody mm -hmm. looks different from you and from most of the people who are around you, then you can say, oh, that's not like me, that's different from me. And so uh, the next step from that is once we've formed these categories, we then form the idea that uh, people who are in our group are better than people who are not in that group. And so you have probably heard and your listeners have probably heard of Jane Elliott. Uh, she was a teacher in somewhere in the Midwest. Um, I think it was in the 60s. And she ran a little field experiment where she told the students in her class, they were pretty young at the time, uh, I think, pre, pre, uh, not preschool age, but elementary age. And she said, okay, well, today all the children who have brown eyes are superior to the children who have blue eyes. And so you're allowed to tell the blue eyed children what to do. And the brown eyed children totally get into this. <laughs> you know we're better than you are and, and and really bossing them around and then the next day she switched it and so okay today the blue-eyed children are superior and you get to tell the brown-eyed children what to do and so and, and the role reversal is immediate <laughs> the blue-eyed children suddenly become the bosses and 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 everyone who has blue eyes is cool and everybody who has brown eyes is not cool and so i mean it so clearly illustrates this idea that when we have this even totally arbitrary signal of what color your eyes are or people have repeated the experiment with if you're wearing a red bandana or a blue bandana yes, <laughs> yeah if you ever seen survivor they play on this <laughs> to the utmost i mean and what more is that than teams divided by color of bandana um, right. or <laughs> it's nothing it's nothing yes, it's nothing and then of course they put one person from that team in this team to to mix everything up and make everybody uncomfortable and and so yeah so that's where this stuff starts um, so and that comes in in the in the really early um, sort of kindergarten and uh, elementary school years around about age five. And then we layer on our cultural messages on top of mm. that. So who is superior? <laughs> who is superior in this setup? Well, um, it's usually, I mean, if you're talking about women, it's the thin white girl with the blonde wavy hair. Um, if it's, if you're talking about boys, it's the you know, really masculine macho <laughs> yeah. specific body shape with a triangular shaped torso and um, you know, it's a certain kind of man. Um, and, and how do children get these ideas? Well, through all of the stimuli that's around them, the commercials, the characters in books, the TV shows, the films. Um, I mean, just one 
amazing example was I was doing some research for a blog post that I just produced on 57 ways that white parents have privilege. Mm. Um, and I stopped because I ran out of time, not because I ran out of privileges. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm, I'm pretty sure there are more that I missed. Um, and so uh, there's this, there was this page that I found from a reading primer. Somebody had taken a picture of it and posted it on Twitter. And there are pictures of four children. Two of the children have light colored skin that you would traditionally call white. Um, and so one of the children uh, had a, was having a birthday and, and the child who was reading the primer had to write the word happy underneath. One of the white children was wearing a first place ribbon in, on their shirt and the child had to write crowd underneath. And then there are two children with dark colored skin who you could assume are black. One of them had a balloon that had popped and the child was to write sad underneath. One of them had a dog sitting off to the side that had eaten a piece of paper and, and the, the dark skinned child was angry. <laughs> and okay. so, you know, reading primers are giving these, giving these negative associations between uh, emotions that we consider to be negative uh, and children who have dark colored skin and uh, positive emotions and happy things with children who have light colored skin. Mm -hmm. And so children are getting these messages from our culture all the time. Mm -hmm. And well, what's parents' role in this? Parents are uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, parents, me. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Raising hand for, yeah, for uh, several years ago, I was in the same spot. Yeah. And so we don't talk about it. We say, well, it's important to love everybody the same. And, and we just kind of think, well, if I don't talk about race and if I talk about uh, loving everybody equally and the importance of that. And if we just avoid it, then our children will not grow up to be racist. And Jen, actually, how did you know that that's exactly what I do or did? <laughs> how, I, I, because, because and, and, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but I just yeah. want to say like, look, I remember when my kids were little and we had those little people dolls, right? And there are, you know, there's little animals. And then of course there's the people and the people mm -hmm. were different colors. Mm -hmm. And um, I remember, uh, you know, just my, my mother-in-law coming in and saying, oh, there's the brown one and oh this little brown girl and we're like oh no no don't don't say that because we don't want our kids to see color we don't want you know we want to really encourage that everybody is um uh, everybody deserves love deserves yeah. acceptance right isn't that so beautiful but Yes. The, as, as somebody who I love says, the seedy underbelly of that is, that is my white privilege, yes. right? Absolutely. Yes. And yeah, Jen, yeah. you taught me that. You taught me that. Uh, and, and almost, and, and, and you kind of blurted it out like, that's your white privilege. And, and why is that my white privilege? Yeah, because you don't have to talk about it. Um, because your children too. are safe in the world. Um, and, and th these are, this is a conversation I had with my daughter a couple of days ago and I, she was talking about, um, I, <laughs> I hope it's okay for me to mention that, uh, this is the second time we recorded this interview and I was actually talking about it with my husband at the dinner table <laughs> and now the recording had gotten lost and, and we were talking about, uh, our conversation and my daughter didn't understand what we were saying and she wanted to know what we were talking about. And so I told her we had been talking about this and, and how there are uh, children who have dark colored skin that it's called being black and that they can't play in, uh, in public 
stick with toys like Nerf guns because somebody might think that that was unsafe and might mistake it for a real gun and might actually shoot them and kill them. And we talked about how she has uh, skin, she, she's mixed race, Filipino white, but she's pretty, she, pretty light skinned and pretty white passing and how people are probably not going to be afraid of her because she has light colored skin. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, so that's a conversation I've chosen to have with my child because I've done all this research and been on this journey. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, four years ago, I was completely clueless as well and wasn't having these conversations. And, and it is my privilege to be able to do that just as it is yours, because your child is not in danger. My child is not in danger. There are many, many parents in the world who are black or, or of, of other races. I, I use the term um, people of non-dominant cultures to reflect this power differential right. between white people and people who are other than the white, but without centering whiteness as the norm. So, so that's why I use this term, um, people of non-dominant cultures. And uh, yeah, they, they have to have these conversations with their children because if they don't, their child might get shot. If they don't know never to take yeah. a Nerf gun out in public, that could, I mean, that could cost them their lives. Um, so, so yeah, they have to do it. And I can't believe how ignorant I've been, <laughs> to be really honest, like, yeah. um, because it is, it is such a hard issue, um, to talk about and to be vulnerable about. And I have been ignorant and, um, and I am doing my best to be vulnerable right now and saying, I don't know, but I want to know because it matters. And, and you talk about non-dominant cultures, you know, um, where I live, there aren't a lot of black people, but there are a lot of, you know, uh, aboriginals here. We have a lot of people from India here. So racism is alive and well where oh, I live yes. as well. Um, and, and I have to tell you, I was so ignorant even to the point where um, really good friends of mine, um, they even just live a couple houses away from me, um, they adopted a black boy at, from Africa. And I, uh, and, and she's, she told me, she said, you know, I've had to tell him that, um, you know, there is going to be a time where you can't wear your hoodie with your hood up. Yeah. Uh, and, and I thought, no, come on, this right. is not here, <laughs> but I, but no, I, I think she, she's absolutely yeah. right. I mean, yeah, that day right. is not far away. No, uh, no. And he's, you know, 13 now, but yeah, you know, that day is uh, here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and I, I actually interviewed another uh, woman who, who is a friend of mine as well. Uh, and she adopted two girls from Haiti and they became like a public family in a way because she had two white boys, two black black girls mm -hmm. and uh, and people noticed them right yeah. they were they, they would and so they would say oh yeah I remember when I saw you at the pool and she's like you were watching us at the pool <laughs> right yeah. um, and then her boys are uh, their brothers and so they treat them like sisters and like we'll push one in the pool or whatever but you can imagine that doesn't look very good and right. yeah. all that and and so I also want to say my ignorance is so much so that I actually thought saying black was a bad thing mm -hmm. um, I didn't say it and and I actually much to my deep embarrassment, uh, whispered it when I was talking to my friend with mm. her black child. And I was like, well, you know, and I, and I'm just going to be just honest and vulnerable. So that's why I'm, I'm, I think it's just, I'm outing myself, but I was like, well, I think I'm black. 
and they, and so they've made fun of me since then, but like, I took it really to heart and I thought, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even know, like, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to be a jerk. And I was, and, uh, and it wasn't until another friend of mine said, I thought saying black was bad. And I was like, yeah, me too, because I've called myself Caucasian. I never want to say white, but like, I am owning it. Right. And you taught me that Jen. And yes, we did record this podcast once before. And it was, uh, it was. I don't even want to talk about it. It was a race. <laughs> so Jen and I, now we're old friends. Now, you know, all this stuff. But but I never knew also that me choosing, whether like me making a choice and I made a choice yeah. with the information that I had at the time, which clearly wasn't very good, um, to not talk about race with my kids. Um, and, and you very, very bluntly and, and in a great way, not without love, said that that's my <laughs> white privilege. And I never thought of it like that, that I get to choose. And these families do not get to choose because they are the subject of racism, of prejudgment, of fear, and, and not really rooted in facts, right? just conditioning and prejudice. And so, you know, it's also really interesting to note how our brain works. And I always love to, to see, you know, the, the piece about the brain is really helpful in parenting in general, mm-hmm. uh, but to also understand that part of this is the way our brain is organizing things. Um, and, and, and that we have to fight against that too, mm-hmm. right? We yep. have to fight against the way our brain is working to, to be better humans for society in general. Yep. Right. Um, So, so you kind of touched on how you got to this point. Mm. So um, you have not always been so woke. (laughs) (laughs) So what brought you here? Yeah. Yeah. If you'd asked my daughter's, uh, she's almost six. She'll be six next week. Uh, If you'd asked me four years ago, what privilege do you have as, as a white person, as a white parent? I probably would have looked at you like, why are you asking me that? I don't have any real privilege. I didn't grow up rich. Um, I, I, I don't really know what you're talking about. Right, yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah, so the, the way that this, this happened for me was I actually was approached by a black podcaster. Her name is Malika Dower, and she has a fabulous podcast called How to Get Away with Parenting. <laughs> I love it. That's <laughs> such a great name. It is, yeah. And so she was interested in learning about homeschooling, and I have done a lot of research on how children learn, and I talked about that, and she, was, she had listened to my show, and she said, hey, will you come on my show and talk about homeschooling? And I said, sure. And so in preparation for that episode, I listened to one that she had recorded. Uh, She and her husband often talk, her husband's white, and and a lot of their episodes are them discussing these things. And she had, she mentioned two things. Firstly, black parents can't have their toddler take a snack or their own toy into a store because somebody might feel or think that uh, either the the child has stolen the thing or the parent has stolen the thing. Oh, wow. And then the second thing she said was that black parents uh, or black parents of black boys or any parents of black boys really are terrified that their child is going to have a tantrum in a public place because there's nothing less safe in the white mind than an out of control black boy. Mm. And when she said that, it just took me back to an incident that happened when I'm English originally and and we were traveling there and visiting with family and we're with my sister and her husband in a pub with a beer garden where you can actually take kids (laughs) in England. And and my daughter, we'd been to an Indian restaurant. My daughter had had a lollipop because they gave it to her after the dinner and she she had a little sugar high going on. She was running around and she wasn't being obnoxious, but she was definitely owning her space and she was kind of feeling and a 
asserting her right to be in that space. And, and when I thought back to that incident and I thought forward to this, this thing that I just learned about, about uh, parents of black boys not, not being able to relax in a public space in case their child has a tantrum, I, I just realized I have privilege. <laughs> there's there's yeah. just no other way of seeing it. I have privilege. You're currently listening to Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon, and I hope you're enjoying the show so far. Did you know that by the age of six, many girls believe that they're less smart than boys? And only 19% of children's books showcase women with jobs or career ambition? As a parent, are you looking for stories to inspire your little girl to pursue her dreams without limits? Well, Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls podcast is an expansion of its best-selling book, which tells hundreds of bedtime stories about the lives of extraordinary women from the past and the present. Designed to close the confidence gap in young girls, these stories explore the talent and results of incredible women across every possible field from astronauts, chefs, trombonists, judges, scientists, and tennis players, from Jane Goodall to Simone Biles. So to inspire the rebel girl in your life, go and find Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls on your favorite podcast player. Now, back to the show. I'd already done podcast episodes on intergenerational trauma, and and I was kind of thinking, well, how can I better understand this? How can I help my listeners understand it? Should I help them understand the Black experience? And, And Malaika was really the one who said, don't do that. Go and understand the experience of whiteness and right. what, what it means uh, to be white for yourself and for other people so that we, white women particularly, but white people in general, you and I can do this work to understand for ourselves what, are, what is our role in this system of white supremacy. Mm-hmm. Um, because white women particularly, our, our feelings have really been weaponized towards black people. You know, this, um, if we, if we think to the Amy Cooper incident where she, she knew exactly what would happen if she called the police. Um, she knew that it was a threat to Christian Cooper to, uh, and that, to have the police called and that he, there was a good chance he wouldn't come out of it very well. Um, and that's what I mean when I say weaponized. And so, um, and, and just to, to, to stop you there, that, yeah. that is the woman that was in, I think it was in Central Park, Central right? Park, yeah. And, and, yeah. The, and the, and this guy was nowhere near her, but she was yeah. calling the police. Yeah. They caught it on, yeah. on camera that she was yeah. saying, this guy is, uh, attacking he's, me. He's about yeah. to attack me. Yeah. yeah. When, when actually he was a birder who, who had asked to her to leash her dog in an area that the dog should have been leashed. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And so, so what we see there is, is, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's what's known as implicit bias. You know, she, yeah. she was actually quoted in an article in the New York times just a couple of days ago saying, I would never have thought that this would happen to me. And it really echoes something that one of the Seinfeld actors it happened to him uh, probably a, a decade or 15 years ago, he was doing a stand up show. And a, I think a black man from the crowd heckled him and the Seinfeld actor said, it just launched into this racist tirade and then afterwards said I, I, I have no idea what happened I, I don't think those things I'm not a racist and and so you know these ideas are buried so deeply in our minds and and when we can retain control over our emotions we know they're not supposed to come out but in these stressful moments that control goes away and what we really think comes out and even in liberal new york <laughs> with a woman who votes democratic by all accounts <laughs> you know these feelings are there they're they're here in me they're there in you because of our role um in society and because we have this white privilege and it's super uncomfortable yeah. to acknowledge for sure 
Well, and, and there's something to be said about generational patterns that we are, um, that we have been a part of. I'll say that, you know, for, for all intents and purposes, you know, my parents were racist themselves and, and not necessarily just uh, of people of color, but there was, uh, you know, even people from Poland, people who were Hungarian, right? Like, you know, those sort of jokes and, and things like that, right? Yeah. Uh, and it was just like, and I, I, don't, I don't even want to say them because I, I don't even think I should or could or anyway. Right. Um, and it was just like, oh yeah, he's a blank. Um, and not even understanding what that really was. And so I do have to look within myself and, 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 uh, undo the conditioning yeah. that is generations yeah. full because I know my grandparents were like that too right mm -hmm. um and that's not that's not okay right it's just not right. okay to be like that so um so so that's really interesting um and and you know to add to your point you you were saying that Malika was was saying no talk about your whiteness don't mm -hmm. talk about the and and so when when you and I first came together I said okay Jen like I want to talk about this I I feel like I should say something and and I know a lot of people feel the um that they need to address it and 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 so I said to you again I am just gonna just go out there and say it I said like <laughs> I, maybe we'll do like a round table with and I'll invite some black women to come and talk and 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 uh, and and explain and what did you say to me about that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I said, uh, let's, um, let, let's save a black person from having to educate you. <laughs> yeah. And I'll share with you what I have learned. And yeah, and Malika was kind enough to do this for me and, and point out that this is trauma porn. Just like watching the, the endless videos of black people getting killed. I mean, firstly, why does there have to be video of a black person getting killed for us to believe that it's real? <laughs> um, and then it gets posted all over social media, which wouldn't happen if it was a white person getting killed. Uh, and then it gets watched all the time. And, and this is trauma porn. This is traumatic to the black community to relive this stuff. They, it, it's actually can, um, it, it can cause the development of PTSD, post-traumatic stress yeah, disorder. I bet, I bet. And so, yeah, so coming, having a black person, a black parent come on a show and talk about how, how difficult they've had it at the hands of white people would be kind of reenacting that trauma. And so I, I le learned that and Malika was kind enough to teach me that. And so we have saved yeah. <laughs> somebody else from having to teach you that by sharing that knowledge here amongst ourselves. And, and yeah, I'm, I'm super vulnerable in this as well. Um, I, I'm maybe a step or two ahead of you on this journey. 100%. And, <laughs> and so um, yeah, that's, there are people who are far ahead of me and I look to them and draw strength from them and see what they're doing. And at the same time, kind of try and turn around and, and extend a hand to white people who are just starting to think about this for the first time uh, and who are just yeah. starting on their own journeys as well. And that, that's the work that we need to do within the white community. We shouldn't be asking the black community to educate us about these things. Mm. Well, yes, and and thank you for for steering me in the right direction because yeah. I ne of course I never would mean to do that. Right. I never. But we neither of us thought of it in that way, right? No, no. Yeah. I, I, and and really, you're saying exploiting their pain so that yeah. I can learn. Like, oh my right. gosh, like yeah. what a jerk. <laughs> like, yeah. like you know, But but I I would never mean to 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 right. do that, and my intention would never be that. But but still, it's important for me to know and learn. And I'm putting my hand up, saying I want to learn. I want 
want to do better. And if anybody listening can feel the same way and, and learn from that, I think, um, I think that's all we're here to do is really just, is really just do that. Um, so let's, um, you know, what, what, so, so having said that, what do you consider your role in this, in, in the evolving, um, and, and I, sorry, I, I want to just say one thing too, like it's very clear to me that at this moment in time, when I watch the news and I see the protests, it is just such an incredible amount of pain pouring out of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I see it. I see it as pain. Um, yeah. And, and, um, and I also see a, a shift now because I don't know that I would have talked about this before, but now it it has become something I can't ignore um, because I think that it's finally, hopefully, I hope that it is it is the invitation for all of us to look at ourselves and to say, no, you know what, this isn't okay. As yeah. one human being to another human being, we 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 need to do better, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, what is the role? What is our role? <laughs> Your yeah. role, my role. What do we do? Yeah. Um, well, I, I see my role as sort of t- on two fronts, the public facing front and the private facing front. And so on the public facing front, um, it, it's sort of linked together in a way that I'm under- working to understand my own privilege. And just because of my role as a podcaster, I've sort of done that work in public. As it were. Yeah, <laughs> I right. produced a whole series of episodes on whiteness in parenting, whiteness in schools. I mean, because white privilege is everywhere in the school system. So, um, so doing that work very much in public and, and also taking action to dismantle systemic racism. Um, and, and we can talk some more about how, how that plays out in, uh, in my private life as well. So a, a big part of my role is around making resources available to white parents who want to learn more about their privilege. And if, if you're hearing this and you're thinking, yeah, I want to know that and I have no idea where to start, I have a whole bunch of resources at yourparentingmojo.com forward slash race. I collects up all of the episodes and you can actually hear my thinking progress on this as I go through these episodes. And, um, <laughs> Happening in real of, time. I love yes, it. Yes, exactly. Yeah. The, the list of 57 privileges there as well. And, and I do want to be clear that I, I don't approach this as an expert. You know, I, I have master's degrees in, in related subjects, but I'm, I'm not super deep on this issue. Uh, I haven't researched it specifically and done you know, primary research on it as a, as a scholar. Uh, so so I consider myself as sort of a person who is one or two steps further along. And, and I kind of imagine it as this, this stream with these kind of wobbly stones across it. And I've, I've picked my way across the first couple and I'm holding my hand back to parents who are standing on the bank thinking, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I want to do this. And, and I'm holding out a welcoming hand saying, let's start this journey. Let, let's just take one step and start this journey together. And so, um, so that's a big part of my role. And then a third part of it is amplifying the voices of people of non-dominant cultures who have insights on the topics that I discuss on uh, race and parenting and, and, and these kinds of topics. And so um, I'm actually, I have a list of uh, about, I think it's about 50 people now um, who, whose work intersects the parenting space, space in some way who are people of non-dominant cultures. And you can find them all at the same time on the yourparentingmojo.com forward slash race page. And uh, so you can go and follow them immediately or you can just follow me and then I feature one of them every day and you can just go and follow them there if you don't want to do it all at once and all that's in the show notes yeah yeah and and, and I'll I'll send you all that information and uh, so it's amazing what happens when you diversify your social feed a little bit (laughs) 
yeah. all of these issues that people are talking about, uh, suddenly, suddenly you, you get a different angle on it because you're hearing it directly from people and who are living it every day and have lived it every day for generations. Mm -hmm. And so a big part of what they're asking us to do right now is listen mm -hmm. and, and, and doing this work through listening to them on social media can be a big step in that direction. And then the next step beyond that is to take action. And so that's, that's what I'm trying to do in my personal life. Hmm. So, um, and, and I think a point that I want to draw out here is this idea of performative uh, action, which is if you show up at a protest and you take a selfie and then you go home again, <laughs> or if you do things in public to, uh, to work a little bit on dismantling systemic racism and then as soon as nobody's watching, you kind of don't really do anything else, that, that's a performative role. And so I, the thing that makes me feel comfortable, more, more comfortable in having an uncomfortable conversation where I'm <laughs> sort of putting myself out here and saying, you should listen to the things I'm, I'm saying about this, is because I know in my heart that I'm not doing this in a performative role that this is yes. important to me and then I'm taking the steps anyway. So, um, so should I, should I list out some of the things that I've been doing in my personal life? Uh, yeah. Be, uh, and, and, uh, and I want to, uh, to steer the conversation in a direction of how do you start talking to your kids about that? Mm -hmm. so if you can tell me that, and then how do we talk to our kids, I think is the next uh, yeah. best step. Yeah. So, I mean, in the, in the very beginning, one of the easiest things to do is to just get books with diverse characters in and read them to your child. Um, and, and specifically books written by diverse authors as well. Uh, because often when you have books that are written by white people, people of the dominant culture, then they will have what are called microaggressions in them, which are kind of little statements or depictions of the people of the non-dominant cultures that if you, if you know enough about it, you can see, oh yeah, that's offensive. <laughs> Um, but maybe if you're just coming at this for the first time, you would think, oh, it's a book with people who have lots of different color skin in it and it's a good thing. And, and so you wouldn't necessarily pick up on it. So, mm. so that extra step of um, reading books that are written by people of non-dominant cultures is, is very important. Um, where we're reading books that feature only white characters, we point it out. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So if, you, if your child's interested in space, then, then that's an easy one because all the astronauts are white. <laughs> right. and, until you get much male. more. Yes, exactly. And, and that's another thing to point out. Yeah. So anything that's about sending the first people to the moon, all, all the people are white, all the people are male. So uh, we talk about difficult subjects like slavery and the civil rights movement, and we try and do it in a way that uh, doesn't leave them with the idea that Rosa Parks sat down in a bus 70 years ago and all of a sudden it's fixed. It's not a problem anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no. Yeah, Dr. Martin Luther King made a speech, and 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 racism's gone. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah, we're good. Yeah. We're good now. We're no, good. Yeah. I, I, in in fact, do you think it it just went even more underground, almost like even more? Uh, it wasn't as uh, socially accepted, but still existed, mm -hmm. sort of in the in the periphery and underneath. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yes. There, there are there are many ways when it still um, is is sort of it's just baked into the way we do things. Even today, I mean, the payment protection program loans that are available in the US, if you're white, if you bank at a certain bank and you have a certain amount of business with them, the chances of you getting one of those loans is pretty good. 
If you are black and you don't bank at the right bank, uh, then your access to those loans when there's a scramble and and knowing the right person to approve an application can make all the difference. You're just not going to get access to that money. Um, There was actually a feature in the New York Times this morning I was reading about that even personal banking, black people will walk into a bank and immediately be suspected of fraud for trying to cash a check. Wow. Yeah. I mean, this is, it was an article I read this morning. Um, and, and there was one woman who was quoted as saying, I don't want to die. I don't want to die today (laughs) because she walked into a bank to try and cash a check. And so, you know, if they, if the bank manager suspects fraud, then the police are called and, and we all know what can happen at that point. So, and um, so there so, must be this almost umbrella of stress and paranoia that you walk around with and yeah. that can't be good for, for your mental health, your physical health. No. And, and is it really paranoia when it's actually. <laughs> right. Right. Good point. Good point. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Actually, yeah. 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 No, I mean, yeah. That's, no, this is trauma. This is trauma. trauma. Uh, yeah. Yes. There's no doubt about it, and um, we we know the, tra- the effects that trauma has on the body. When when children undergo trauma, um, things as as apparently non-traumatic as a parent who, who who humiliates you. I mean, you would think, yeah, you could get over that. That has been shown to uh, impact your physical health decades later for things like heart disease, cardiovascular disease. I mean, that's one tiny thing. Um, just imagine the impact that being afraid to step outside your house, being afraid to go to the bank um, mm-hmm. has on people uh, over a long period of time. And, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I don't want to get to this, you know, where we're re-traumatizing ourselves here but just to to empathize and and move on yeah Mm -hmm. um and so so we we talk about those kinds of things so when when we're driving through oakland and we had been camping and and so my daughter knew what a tent was and you sleep in a tent and she's asking well why why are people camping on the streets in oakland well they're not camping by choice they're they're not having they're not doing it to have fun like we have and and then we we talk explicitly about what kinds of people are most likely to be um sleeping in tents and why is that well sometimes people think that people who have dark colored skin can't do jobs as well as people who have light colored skin and this is the kind of language that i'm using mm-hmm. and and so maybe they aren't able to get a job and so they can't pay for a place to live um, if she's interested in jail which she's super interested in you know what happens when you go to jail what why do you get sent to jail and if, if she has this idea that if you do something wrong you get sent to jail which is mostly true but sometimes <laughs> when uh, a person does something we think of as being wrong maybe it was the best choice that they had available to them at the time mm. and maybe people who have dark colored skin black people are more like well this is not maybe this is true um, they're more likely to go to jail for committing the same crime for doing the same thing wrong as a person with light colored skin, a person that we call white. And so we're having these super explicit conversations about these kinds of things uh, based on the kinds of questions that she's asking. So, yeah. so talking with our children is super important. Really, really important. So, and, and you can really start right away, right? Yeah. Because yeah. they are already doing it before they have language yeah. with the way their brain organizes things. Well, I, I just want to thank you so much for all of your information and, uh, and, and really for helping, um, helping me to understand on a better level. And I hope that the people listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for listening up to this point and really, 
um, engaging um, yourself and spending time learning because it's really important. And I, and I just can just see the ripple effect that this will have on humanity if we can just do better, you know, um, and to see, to see the black community and the non-dominant, um, you, okay. you call, yeah, right. people of non-dominant cultures. Yeah. Just watch them emerge and thrive and and uh, and the gifts that we can have from them, the, you know, the, their voices, their art, their, their you know, uh, their thoughts and ideas, like they are, oh, I can just, I can see yeah. how beautiful it can be if we can have more harmony. Yeah, um, that's actually super important that we're, we're not doing this to save Black people. Um, we're doing it because racism hurts us as white people oh, as well. I mean, we, we should be doing it because, because it is not right for people, a, a group of people and in, individuals within that group to have to experience these things. But we should also do it because our humanity is tied up in theirs. Mm -hmm. And by recognizing their humanity, our experience is better. Mm -hmm. um, we, we are missing out on the contributions that they could have to our broader culture and society. Mm -hmm. And so that's why we should be doing this work because it benefits all of us um, yeah. not just because we want to save them from from you know from something bad so, right yeah. right exactly yeah so um, so do you have any any last words that you can leave my listeners with uh, before yeah you go? yeah I, I think back to an article that was written by a black man he's, he's called Trey Johnson in the Washington Post it was pretty recent and I'll send you the link to it and and he said um, when things get really violent or aggressive white people read <laughs> and talk about their reading and listen and talk about their listening. Mm -hmm. And so, and his point is we, we white people must read. We must listen. We must understand better than we do right now, but we also have to go beyond that and take action. Um, and he acknowledges that it must be, and he uses the word maddening. He says it must be maddening to, <laughs> to have all this contradictory advice floating around. You know, do you step up? Do you step back? Do you read? Do you listen? Do you go to a protest? Do you not? Do you check yeah. in on your black friends? Do you leave them alone? <laughs> um, and, and his point is, we white people will figure it out. And I'll quote him. He says, black people have been similarly exhausted making the case for jobs, freedom, happiness, justice, equality, and the like. It's made us dizzy, but we've managed to find the means to walk straight. And so his overall point is, yes, read. Yes, listen. Yes, think. Take on this information. And then take an action. Don't, don't wait until you feel like, oh, I understand everything. I know exactly the right thing to do because you will never understand it all. <laughs> it's not possible to understand this all. So just take one step. Pick one step. Talk with your child. Join your local showing up for racial justice chapter. Um, take one step that feels small but meaningful to you. And then take another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then take another. Mm -hmm. And it's through doing that work that we will make the progress we need to make. And this is not going to happen quickly. We're not going to fix it in your lifetime, in my lifetime. Probably not in our children's lifetime, frankly. It mm -hmm. took us generations to get to this point. It will take us generations to get out. But if we can start now, at least we're heading on the path. And the action starts with us and how we raise our children and the actions that we take and the actions we teach them how to take. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I know I'm going to do better and, um, and it feels good to, um, it feels good to make that commitment to mm -hmm. do better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. um, so thank you, Jen. Thank you for having this conversation. Thank you for letting me be vulnerable. Thank you for teaching me and everybody else that's listening. Um, uh, it's been so good. Thank you. You're so welcome. 
Thank you for listening to this edition of my podcast, Parenting Our Future. I'm parent coach Robin McMahon. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with someone who you think might also need to hear this message. And don't forget to subscribe. And if you like my work, I'd be grateful if you gave me a five-star rating. For those of you who like my content and want more, visit me at yellingcurebook.com to get your copy of my book and to find other resources to help you. Until next time, I am wishing you and your family peace and connection.